Good morning, Fairhaven Church. There you are. That is all my fault, not the technology. I'm sorry about that. That is my fault there. I thought I had it on. Hey, great to see you. If we haven't met, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. I want to welcome our Springboro campus, uh, our Northmont campus to the north, Beaver Creek to the east. Beaver Creek, good to see you today. Uh, I want to welcome all those that are in Classics, online, in the Dayton area, and around the country, and even in the world, and all of you that are right here in Center. Great to see you this morning. Thank you so much uh, for being here. We are in week three of a series that we're entitling More Than Money, because as we think about an abundant life, I think you'd agree with me that we want, to, we want our life to be more than money. Am I right, church? We want it to be more than that in our life, even though we want to make sure, sure that we make sense of it in our life, so that's why we're, we're studying. I thought I'd start out by just some fun facts about money and see if you can get this uh, right, okay? True or false, and just say it out loud, uh, no matter where you're at, just say it out loud online, you can type it if you want, uh, about money. So fun facts. True or false, you can take a dollar bill and only fold it 400,000 times uh, before it rips. True or false? That is true. Actually, if that's false, I'm sorry, it's 4,000 times, not 400,000. 4,000 times. Some middle school kid is going to try that probably uh, today. 4,000 times you can fold a dollar bill and it will rip. Um, here's number two. True or false? Our money is green, that's why we call it greenback. It's green because it resists bacteria, true or false? That is false. It is green because it's harder to, uh, to uh, counterfeit. Um, in fact, if you hold a dollar bill, there is all kinds of bacteria on it. In fact, it's terrible, actually, uh, what's on our dollars. Here's another one. Um, if you were to send one coin, a penny, a nickel, dime, quarter, and you were to send it around, how many years would it take before it would wear off the number and wear off everything on it? Would it be 52 years, true or false? False. It is 30 years, actually. So it takes 30 years uh, for your pennies to go around the world, um, and it'll rub off. True or false? Um, it costs more than a penny to make a penny. True or false? True. It costs 2.1 pennies to make a penny. No wonder we're in debt, <laughs> right? It's unbelievable. Uh, the dollar sign. Um, true or false? The dollar sign came from Great Britain. True or false? It is false. Uh, it actually came from the Spanish pesos. Pesos is P-S, and so if you took the P and you put an S on top of it, that's where we got the dollar sign, actually, from the peso. 1785, for those historians that want to know the exact date on that. All right, true or false, there is an ATM in every continent of the planet. That is true. There is an ATM. You can even go to, if you want to, I wrote it down here. Hang on, let me see if I can find it here. You can go down to even Antarctica, and you can find it there on the McMatter uh, station there, a population seven. I don't know why they would need an ATM, but there's one there. <laughs> there you go. Um, true or false? Coins have always had the phrase, in God we trust on it. That is false. Uh, it started out with mind your business, <laughs> which is what some of you are thinking because we're in a mi mi money series. Um, so you're thinking mind your own business, right? So there's a lot of fun things that you could be talking about money. What we're doing here is we're studying the aspect of what the Bible has to say to us, and we're trying to gain some perspective in order that you and I can live an abundant life more than money. 
I want to start off today by telling you um, that we have a class starting on Tuesday, and so you have just a couple more days. Uh, There's dozens and dozens of people that have already signed up for this, and so join them in signing up for this. It's a Zoom class, and so you won't be, you know, you won't be isolated or you won't be noticed there because there's hundreds of people that will be there probably on the Zoom call, but uh, Bob and Linda... uh, uh, Lodic have offered to do this class, True Financial Freedom, for us. And so register. You can go online, uh, the app or the website. They are also the book. Bob Lodic is the book of this, uh, the author of this book, Simple Money, Rich Life. I've read this twice. It's really, really good. So get this book if you want to. You can download it from Amazon or something. Uh, so they have created this. We've talked to them this week, actually. Um, our office did. And they're ready to go. They're excited about it. And so here's your last chance. In the next two days, please sign up for this. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. This is not just for people whose you know, money or personal finances are upside down. This is for everybody who just wants to think a little bit further. They're going to tell their stories, and there's going to be a lot of practical ways. One thing that they will talk about is how you can earn an income digitally today. That's a big issue today if you know anything about influencers and things like that. Uh, so that's an interesting fact, actually, part of this whole series. And so sign up for that as we get going. Here's where we have been. If you've not been with us, we've been talking about our personal finances And we've been saying this, that inattention leads to destruction. That if you're not paying attention to your finances, then that's going to lead to destruction. You're going to be spending your money on things that you don't know where it's going and so forth. And it's really, really interesting because many of you would say, well, I know exactly where my money is going. Well, if that's the case, then the next question comes up, and that is, do you like where your money is going, uh, which is a pretty important question because there's so many things. I don't know about you, but I have been discovering that on my iPhone, smartphone, if you look on there, you can see all the things that you're subscribed to. Take a look at it. It's pretty interesting because you look at that and you're going, really? I'm subscribed to that? I need to stop that tomorrow. It's really amazing. And so um, inattention to uh, our finances leads to destruction. Last week, we talked about contentment. And we said contentment is the way that you can slay the monster of more. You and I can slay that because it's a huge monster. Every one of us, if I were to ask you how much more money do you want, you'd say just a little bit more, right? And so how do you slay that in your life? Contentment is a way that we did that. And so if you missed that, you can go back and, uh, and tune in because we're learning together. Here's the th- third thing we're going to learn today as we look at a story that Jesus tells, and that's this, really important, that trustworthy stewards will be rewarded. That if you're trustworthy in what God has entrusted to you, he's the owner. Um, so if you're here today and you, um, you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus or you know blatantly that you're not a follower of Jesus, this is at least good information for you. It's going to sound really odd today because the truth of the matter is what, what the Bible wants to tell us is that in being trustworthy, you move beyond money controlling you. You get to be in control of money. God knows the power of that in our lives, and he gives us a game plan of how to lay that out in our lives. And so the question really is, is trustworthy. Can you be and are you a trustworthy steward? Because you will be rewarded if you're trustworthy, and we'll see that today uh, in a story. Here's a principle that I want you to gather. There's two principles that I really want you to gather today. Here's the first one. Out of all the things that we'll talk about and look at today, don't miss this, because a lot of people don't think about this when it comes to our personal finances. And the principle is this, how we manage our finances now, today, next month, how we manage our finances now will matter later. And I'm not talking about next year, I'm not talking about 20 years from now, I'm talking about the fact that when we uh, see Jesus coming back, church, he's coming back, 
right? He's coming back. And when Jesus comes back, we're going to stand before him and we're going to have to give account to our lives. And I think most of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that. You know that we're going to stand before God and we have to give account to our moral behavior, to our attitudes, uh, to our relationships. Not many of us uh, know or even think about the fact that we also have to give account to our finances. That's this story that Jesus tells us today. And so this is a really, really important principle of how we manage our finances now will impact us later when we stand before God because it's his. And so he says, here, I'm going to entrust this to you uh, over your lifetime and enjoy it for sure, but make sure that you do these things and so that it doesn't have control uh, in your life. So let's take a look. You got a Bible with you, a device with you in all of our campuses? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. And Jesus is talking here. So many of your Bibles, it's in red, uh, as it should be, because this is Jesus talking. This is not me talking or Fairhaven Church talking. If you're here new today, um, you're probably wondering, wow, I came at the wrong week. Uh, or if you're here visiting because somebody got baptized, we're glad you're here. Just listen in, because this is for those of us that call Fairhaven Church home. We're going to be talking about what God wants of us to be trustworthy in our personal finances. So let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 25, we'll begin in verse 14. Um, let me read the first two verses and then let's pause and I'll give you a little bit of a setup for it. Matthew 25, 14. Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now stop here for a second and let me set it up for you. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. It's not a large crowd. These are his disciples. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. This is for me. Jesus wants to talk to us about personal finances to make sure that you and I can be found trustworthy. It's called the Olivet Discourse. The fancy word is the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And he's having a conversation with his disciples and he's talking to them and it starts actually in 24, Matthew chapter 24. And he says this, he says, I'm gonna leave and things are gonna get really pretty bad. And, um, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, nobody knows the time or the hour. No one knows that. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. No one knows that. And when I leave, I'm going to entrust to you my resources. And when I come back, we're going to have a conversation about it. And so that's exactly what's taking place here. Jesus is just about ready to tell them, I'm going to leave and I'm going to entrust some things to you. Some of you are going to have a little bit more than some other people. Don't worry about that. I'm going to entrust that to you and then I'm going to come back. So that's the context of this conversation. What's really interesting is the phrase that he uses, Jesus uses, and he says this, he is going to entrust to them his property. So again, it's reinforcing the fact that everything that you have, Everything that you have has been given to you by God. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you have a good job. Those may be true. But it's because God has given it to you. God has entrusted to you his resources. And he wants you and I to be counted trustworthy in our lives. So he entrusts that to us. That's why we're talking about being trustworthy today. So here's the question that we should start out by asking. How trustworthy are you in your personal finances? 
in terms of what God is expecting of you, because what God expects of you is not because he wants to take from you or make you feel bad about it. He is instructing us because he does not want us to wake up every single day and to be overwhelmed with this huge barrier and and, uh, this huge weight in our lives about finances. How do we get beyond the control of money in our lives? And he lays that out for us. Now, what we see there in verse 15 is in the story, this man, the master, Jesus, goes away. But before he goes away, he gives some five talents, some two talents, and some one talent. Now, the problem with the word talent is that when you and I see the word, the word talent to us means like you have a talent. Like, for example, you may be good at art or you might be a great musician, or you might be an amazing uh, physician, a doctor, you might be a great teacher, um, you might be a, a, a great um, a, an athlete of some kind in your life. That's not what talent means there. And so in the English Standard Version, which is what we use here at Fairhaven Church, the word talent is hard to understand. It's actually the Greek word talenton. So it's very accurate, actually. Talenton means talent. The word talent means this right here. It's the sum of money that is weighed on a scale. So if you're a note taker or you want to write in your Bibles, you may want to write one talent, catch this, is equal to 20 years of income. One. So he says, I'm going to leave, and before I leave, I'm going to entrust to you to some of you, five talents, some of you, two talents, and some of you, one talent. That's 20 years of salary in one talent. I like the way the New Living Translation actually puts it because it, we can relate a little bit more to it. It says this in Matthew chapter 25, the New Living Translation. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey, and he called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags, love that. That makes a little more sense to us. Five bags of gold, and to others two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. So I want to talk to you today about there's five baggers, there's two baggers, and there's one bagger. What's the difference, and why does Jesus use these as he's trying to help us to understand that trustworthy servants are rewarded? So let's take a look. Let's start by talking to the five baggers here today, five bags. Now, first of all, how many years of income do the five baggers have? Some of you are really good at math. One talent or one bag is 20 years. That's 100 years. That's 100 years of income. In other words, those are people that have some things in their life. Let's take a look. Verse 16, drop down to verse 16. The conversation starts to the five baggers. Here it is. He who has received five bags went on at once and traded them or invested them or used them or applied them, and he made five bags more. So also he who had two bags made two bags more, but he who had received the one bag went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now... After a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. Jesus saying, I'm going to come back one day, and I want to ask you, how'd you do? Were you trustworthy with everything that I gave you? 
He came back and settled accounts. Verse 20. And he who had received five bags came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, look, you've delivered me to five bags, and here I've made five more bags. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, trustworthy, over a little, and so I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the five bagger starts out, and the first thing we learn about the five baggers are this. The five baggers have an awful lot. They're defined actually by more. I mean, they have a hundred years of income working over a 40-year period, right? So this is a whole lifetime that Jesus is going to come back one day, and he's going to take a look at all, the, you know, all that we've had. The five baggers are defined by more. They have more money. Uh, they have more stuff. They have more travel. They have more houses, and they have more temptations, frankly, and so I'm talking to those of you that are five baggers, those of you that have more than the average person, you have a hundred years of income basically to your name. And so there's a lot that you could do and you're defined by more in many ways. Secondly, we see here that five baggers put the money into play. So the five baggers, it says in there in verse 16, that at once there was no hesitation the five beggars said, you know what? I've been given a lot. I'm going to put it into play. I'm going to make sure that I honor God and I'm trustworthy. And he did it immediately. And he was able to come back at the end and show his master that he had five more bags or a hundred more years of income. That's amazing to me in this story. So we learned that about the five baggers is that they're defined by more. They put their money in play. And then here's what's really interesting. The five bagger is the hero in the story. It's the person who's the wealthy one is the hero in the story. Because here's what I know in talking to many five-baggers um, that I've talked to, and that's this, that many people who are at the five-bagger stage, they often feel as if they're, like they're at odds with the kingdom of God. Because if you read the Bible, it's very clear that the kingdom of God um, tells us that as a church, not only Fairhaven, but as a church, capital C, that it's our job to make sure that we take care of widows and those that have less, the underserved in our community, to help seniors, to help our kids, to help the next generation. Would you agree with that, church? Amen. Right? And so the Bible's very clear on that. But it also says a lot to the wealthy, like, you know, a camel can go through the eye of a needle about as good as a rich man can get into heaven. And so a lot of times, people who are five-baggers are at odds with the kingdom of God. And I want you to take a deep breath here if you're a five-bagger because you're the hero of the story. God cares about you. He wants you in your more to put your money into play because you might be a hero. God could use you in a very, very big way. You see, you have five bags more than most people, not because you are better, not because you are smarter, but because God has chosen to do that as he wants to use you and trust you with all that he's entrusted in your life. The temptation, however, for the five bagger is to misuse the wealth because of fear. The temptation is because of having a lot, you might be fearful that you'll lose a lot. Or because you have a lot, you're wondering that if people will want to take advantage of you because you have a lot. There's a temptation that's there. And God wants the five-baggers to be heavily involved. That's exactly why Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 6. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to all baggers, 
but I think specifically to five baggers and maybe to two baggers, he says this in Matthew chapter six, for where your treasure is, where your bags are, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus is saying, that it's very possible in life that you can have the grace of God in your life and greed in your finances. It's very easy for your heart to be divided where you may love God and you may want to serve him and you may want to please him. And yet because of the pressure of having five bags, you may be drifted off and and protecting all of that and wanting to hoard it to yourself because of all the fears that come into your life and your heart can be divided where you may love God, but your heart is really where your treasure is. And that's the warning to the five, uh, five bagger there. It's really pretty amazing as we, as we look at it. And so as we talk to, as Jesus is talking to us here, he talks to the five baggers and then he gets to the two baggers. And so here's the two baggers. Uh, let's read it here first, okay? Uh, drop down to verse 22. The two baggers, he said, so also he went to the two bags and they came forward saying, master, you have given me two bags and here, 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 I've made two more bags. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over little. I will set over you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Anybody notice anything? Yeah, he says the same thing. Jesus says the same thing to the two baggers as he does to the five baggers. A couple things that we learn about the two baggers, and that's this, that the two baggers is like most of us. Two bags is 40 years of income. And so in, your, in the course of your lifetime, as you work, probably about 40 years, you probably have about 40 years of income in the course of your life. And so the two bags really describes most of us. I'm a two bagger. And so as I've worked my whole life and, you know, thinking through all that God has given me, I'm a two-bagger. And so two-baggers is probably, I'm talking probably to a many, many two-baggers in all of our campuses and those that are online. Secondly, in ter- terms of the two-bags, there's two temptations that the two-baggers face. One is jealousy of the five-baggers. Because a lot of two-baggers will say, you know, if I just had a little bit more, I would do more. Maybe. A lot of two-baggers are jealous because they'd say, look, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make ends meet here. I'm, I'm just trying to work here, and it's hard. And Okay, it's true. And so a lot of times the temptation could be the jealousy of, of having, you know, of, of five-baggers or condescending toward the one-bagger where you look down or we look down on those that have less than us, the underserved in life. And you see, it's the two-baggers that probably need to hear this maybe more than the five baggers. In the Old Testament, God tells us that if we're not careful with our personal finances, you and I can absolutely rob God. Wow. In fact, it's Malachi. Malachi is the last book. If you were in Matthew 25, if you turned 25 chapters to the left, you'd be in Malachi. It's a short little book. It's a prophet, Malachi, and he's talking to all of the followers of God, the Jewish people, and he says this, will man rob God? Those are strong words. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says, but you say, how have we robbed you? And so you're probably asking, well, how do we rob God? Here it is. In your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. A tithe simply means 10%. 
10% of your income. And then it goes on here, watch this. Bring the full tithe or the 10th into the storehouse. Bring it into the place in which you worship and serve in order that the people around you could be blessed. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that's God's house, and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, and I will, uh, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Wow. Do you know that this is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, test me. If you want to be trustworthy and you want to be a two-bagger, test him on this, that as you honor God, you save money, and you live on you know, the, uh, the 80%, you will honor God. Test him in that. Try it. Last week, if you were here, I, I mentioned to you that my wife and I, when we got married in 1987, some of you are doing the math right now in your head, that's 36 years ago, 36 years ago when my wife and I got married, we heard a message series not unlike what we're going through here, and we made a decision as a couple, as we started our life together, we made a decision to live by this. I mentioned this last week, 10 10 80, where we gave 10% or a tithe to God, we saved 10%, and we live on 80. And we have lived this for 36 years. It's not because we're better or smarter. It's that we learned early on that if you do this, you can get into muscle memory and it's one of the ways that you and I can be trustworthy with God. You see, for Kathy and I, we've been doing it so long, it's almost like this is a refresher for us to think through, why do we actually do this? I'll tell you that in just a few minutes. Why do we need to do this? Well, that makes sense. And how do you live on 80 when there's so many things coming in at a time? So I want to be transparent with you today. I've told this story only once, I think about 10 years ago. In 2002, when we were living here in Dayton, one of our sons got very, very ill. And we were trying to find doctors who could help us, and we searched and searched for years and years. We tried this, we tried that, we tried all kinds of things. And the truth of the matter is, medical bills were piling up. I mean, they were coming in by the tens of thousands of dollars. And I made a decision one day, on my own, without talking to my wife, that we were going to stop the 10% going to God. Because I thought, you know what, we need to pay these bills off, and I still need to save, and we still need to pay our bills, and so I'm going to stop this over here in order that I could pay off the medical bills. And that's exactly what I did. Being transparent with you, I stopped it in 2002. I still remember. I was driving home from the office on one day in 2002, and I remember asking God, God, can you help us find somebody that can help us with our son? And can you help us with these medical bills? I don't know what to do. They're coming in so fast. It's unbelievable. And as I'm driving on the way home, it wasn't some audible voice in my car. It wasn't some weird, strange thing. It was in my heart that God simply said, do you trust me? I knew exactly what he was saying. I actually had to pull the car over because in that moment, as, as I was there in the car, I knew that I had let God down. I knew that I had let my wife down. And I knew that I had let myself down because I stand up here most weeks and I search God's word and we study together and I get to go, look what I found. Look what I found. It's awesome. 
And I violated that. And so I remember exactly where I pulled over. There may or may not have been some tears there. And I got home that night and we had dinner together and the four boys were at the table. It was loud, obnoxious, trying to help them to understand manners. That's miserable if you have four boys, right? And so after dinner, I said, guys, I need you to go to your rooms and just find something to do. I need to talk to your mother. And so at dinner, I said, Kathy, I owe you a big apology. I made a decision without asking you, and this is our personal finances. It's not mine. This is our personal finances. And I told her, I said, Kathy, I'm really sorry. I have violated God. I have violated you. And I have violated being a pastor who stands for this. So that night together as a couple, we decided that we were going to make it up that we were going to put God to the test. We did. So I remember getting our checkbook out and we wrote three months of giving to God that I had violated. And that Sunday, with lots of fear, I'm not going to lie, we turned it in. We gave it because we want to be a part of what God wants to do in this church family, in our community, and around the world. And I went home each day thinking, man, that thing's going to bounce like a Super Bowl. <laughs> and about a week in, I get a letter in the mail from the IRS. And they said, in your 1987 taxes, we've made a mistake. And they sent us a check, which was all we needed. Now you tell me. Now make sure you hear this. I'm not saying that when you honor God, he's going to overflow you with money. What I'm going to say to you is this, that when you and I are trustworthy, he will reward that. He will reward that. In 1987 is the year that we got married. Kathy and I made more money that year because I was working for UPS. I was a driver for UPS, and Kathy was an RN at a cardiac unit, step-down unit in New York, and we were getting ready to go into being pastors, and so we were paying off as much bills as we could, and we made more money that year than we did the next six consecutively, because I became a pastor. And somehow, um, so, somehow, we made a mistake on our taxes somehow, and it showed up in 2002. It's amazing how God can do that. Would it surprise you to know that in today's world, the amount that Americans in churches today give to charity in 2022 was the lowest since 1995. 1.7% 1 of income. Now, I want you to make sure you hear this because I'm going to tell you this in just a second. We are not here. I am not here. This story is not here to give you guilt. This is about being trustworthy and so I wonder in my life and in yours and the life that we see all around us, no wonder we have so many problems. We're not placing God first. We're not doing what God is asking us to do because money can control us. And so church, we need to do something about this. We need to make sure that um, we do better than this. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But there's a, there's a one-bagger. Take a look with me. A one-bagger in verse 24. So he also, who had received the one bag, came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. Really? Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. 
You knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming should I receive that which is mine with interest. And so Jesus says to the one bagger, Jesus is saying to the one bagger, you're not the victim. Don't, don't be fearful, don't be lazy, and make sure you do something with it because the one bagger took it and hid it in the ground and Jesus says, you could have at least put it in the bank and got some interest on it. You did nothing with it. You weren't really that trustworthy with it. And so the one bagger is facing all these kinds of things here. Here's what I would say to the one bagger. The one bagger is under-resourced, but if you're under-resourced today, that doesn't mean that you're exempt. It just means that if you're under-resourced, because the one bagger is somebody who gets 20 years of income over a period of 40 years. How many agree with me? That's an under-resourced person. And you might be here today and you're under-resourced. Maybe you've lost your job or maybe you're not getting paid in much. Or worse yet, maybe you're having medical issues and it's really hard for you to work. I'm here to tell you that as a church family, we want to come around you. It's our job, those of us that have five bags and two bags, to come around you because you're under-resourced. But just because you're under-resourced, church, I think we'd all agree that doesn't give you an exemption. You too need to be in control of your money. It might help you if you hear this principle. And in fact, here's the second principle I want all of us to hear because it really relates to five baggers, two baggers, and one bagger. And that's this. You see, your worth, your worth is not established by your wealth. Your worth is established by the cross. See, the reason why you and I should give God and save and live on the rest is because we're sons and daughters of the king. And he says, if you don't want to be controlled by money, if you don't want to if you don't want to lay awake at night thinking about your money, if you don't want to be hounded by your personal finances in your life, here's the plan. Honor God, save, and live on 80. And when you do, it's the way that you take away all the stress of that in your life. And so let me give you a couple practical ideas. Practical ideas for all baggers, okay? Doesn't matter if you're five bagger, two bagger, or one bagger. Let me give you a couple practical ideas. Practical idea number one, why don't you give a first gift? If you have never given before, give a first-time gift. Now, let me make sure it's very clear. I'm not saying this because here at Fairhaven Church, we want you to give more money and we want to have more budgets, and that has nothing to do with it. I'll tell you why this is important in just a second. We want you to be free. We have all kinds of partnerships in this city, We'll help give the money away. By the way, did you know that in Centerville, I know we have other campus, but in Centerville, if you took the median income and if all of us were faithful and trustworthy in giving God the tithe, we would be able to give away $10 million, which is what we would do. Because right now we give about a million and a half away. We'd give 10 million away in order to help our community and the world and doing all kinds of things. So don't, don't think that we're trying to just grab money from you. That's not what it is here. Give your first gift. That could be a practical thing for you that will begin the process of making sure that money doesn't control you. Here's practical idea number two. Commit to becoming a regular giver. Maybe you're already giving a one-time gift, but you're not doing it on a regular basis. Do it regularly so that you're constantly saying to yourself, I want to be trustworthy. I want to make sure that God knows he's first in my life. I want to save. I want to live on the rest. Give a gift that's on a regular basis. And here's the third practical idea. If you're giving a gift once and maybe you're regular attending, what about a sacrificial gift? Because there are one-baggers in our church family. And we want to help the one-baggers. 
who are struggling and under-resourced, not only in our church family, but in our city. You see, the church ought to be making our cities better in the name of Jesus for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the message of the gospel. Here's the third principle, and maybe the most important one of the day. All right? Everybody make sure you get this. Take a screenshot. Write this down. You see, giving is not about guilt. If you're feeling angry right now, it's because the enemy wants you to feel guilt. That's not of God. If you're feeling confused right now, that is not of God. That's guilt. See, guilt is not part of the equation here. As a matter of fact, giving is not about guilt. It's about being trustworthy. Now, if you feel conviction like I did, you might need to pull your car over and have a conversation with God. Because that's conviction. Because conviction causes you to do something. Conviction causes you to look at your finances to make sure that you have contentment, to make sure that you're not, you know, forgetting how to give attention to it. That's what that is. It's not about guilt at all. And here's why. Ready for this? Because Jesus, Jesus wants his followers to steward or to manage um, toward the things that he values. So when we say that we're going to give back to God, it's not because God needs it or wants it. Here's God's plan. God's plan is that he wants to use you and me and together in order to do a few things. Let me give them to you quickly. There's four. As you search through scripture, this is what you're going to find. That Jesus wants his followers to steward toward the things that he values. So the question is, what does Jesus value? Number one, Jesus values caring for the church. Do you realize that when you give to God... You help support our student ministries so that students make sure that they get what they need to enter into a world. How many of you agree with me? Are you glad you're not a teenager today? (laughs) We want to arm our teenagers to make sure that they know how to walk into a college campus or a business of some kind. When you give to God, you're helping to make sure that this community, that we can sort out beds for kids. Otherwise, you're going to be put in the foster care. We're going to help our, our families in this community. We're going to help senior adults. We're going to help widows. We're going to help moms, um, single moms. We do that now. That's what you get to be a part of. As a matter of fact, this last Friday, I don't know if you know or not, but we had this thing called the True Girl Crazy Hair Tour. I actually looked on our cameras to see it because I wanted to see what it was like. There were 800 moms here with their teenage daughters or tween daughters, we call them. 800 of them talking about their faith and life and what it means to be a woman and and how God wants to protect them and so forth. 10 of those girls, the tweeners, gave their life to Jesus Christ Friday night. And you get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. I mean, that's, that's why caring for the church, Jesus cares and he values that. Secondly, he cares about spreading the message of the gospel to make sure that your neighbors hear about Jesus, to make sure that the city hears about Jesus. Do you know, by the way, that we, we support over 60 couples around the world? 60 couples that are from our church family that are serving somewhere in the world so that they can share the message of the gospel. Number three, um, the things that Jesus cares about are helping the poor, the prisoner, the sick, the hungry, and the thirsty. But Jesus also cares about you. Don't miss this. He cares about you providing for your family, providing for your fun, 
If you go to the class on Tuesday night, here's what you're going to learn. You shouldn't spend less on what you want to do. You should spend more on what you want to do. You just need to stop spending on things that you don't want to do. It's amazing when that happens, right? And so you get to provide for your family, you provide for fun, provide for your future. It all comes down to this. Trustworthy stewards will be rewarded. Would you bow with me? And would you just listen to God? Because he'll talk to you. No guilt here. This is about you and God and your personal finances. Father, we come and we ask that you would speak to every heart here, 13 years of age and 93 years of age. That all of us, Father, whether we're five baggers, two baggers, one bagger, I pray, Father, that we would be found trustworthy. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to save and prepare for the emergencies. We want to live out our lives in such a way that we take care of our responsibilities or so that we can enjoy what we have. We can invite others into that process. I pray, Lord, for those that are the five baggers, Lord, who feel as if they're at odds with the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, that they would find great joy in you. I pray, Lord, for the two baggers, which is probably most of us. I pray, Lord, that we would see that even though we're trying to make ends meet and trying to be responsible, that, Lord, that we can find ourselves under the burden of money. I pray for the one bagger, Father, who here today is feeling as if, like, they're underwater. How do we do this? How do we take care of this? I pray, Father, that you would help them, that you would help us to help them as a church family, that we might honor you in all that we do. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand that what we do now matters later. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, amen.